Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 73, where in a moment we discuss the financial repercussions of getting married. That's today's show topic, and it's on the way, like I say, as we record here, one mile beneath the surface of the Earth's core in a specially constructed nuclear winterproof bunker where nobody will ever find us. But please, uh, bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, pensions, investing, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we looked at uh, the top five most Googled mortgage questions answered. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. Like I said, enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. Then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me, as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. I've caught you out because last week it was the what episode 72 was on um, how parents can help children on the property you know, ladder to I, see if I hadn't said nobody would ever have noticed. <laughs> I was, I was, I thought, will I do this one again or will I just, will I, will I gloss over it? And Phil's picked me up. It wasn't the top five most Google mortgage questions answered. It was, in fact, like you said, how to help your kids onto the property ladder. Right. Do you want me to start this show again? Because I can't. No, it's fine. (laughs) I have to say, Phil, you are dicing with death with this title, perhaps even a a little unfairly. I mean, I'm not breaking the bro code here, but to call this episode the financial repercussions of getting married makes it sound like quite an ominous thing to get married and even implies, you know, guilt on a partner where quite often the, the first one, maybe two weeks, go brilliantly on honeymoon. So what do you mean when you, you talk about the financial repercussions of getting married? I know maybe our dicing with death on, on this <laughs> subject today, but it's good to consider the financial issues in relation to getting married. And a lot of people aren't aware of all the financial implications. So I just thought it'd be a good podcast to do, but just cover some of the, the important points today and hopefully just give folk something to think about if they are in that position. So this is more to do with the steps you might take or have to take because you've got married or in the event of separating again after having married. So take us through the, the the types of thing we might have to consider because guaranteed these things really, if ever, cross your mind until they're literally in your line of fire. So I suppose there's, there's maybe one you'd tackle before you know, actually tying the knot and setting the register. Um, the idea of a, of a prenuptial agreement. From what I've seen in the films and on telly shows, Phil, this is like usually Kardashian territory. So mm-hmm. when one or both partners getting married have a bit of money or assets at their back, and the idea is to protect them by selling something legal before getting married. So those assets can't be claimed if the marriage goes south afterwards. I've always thought this could result in, in some marriages not taking place as a result, because, you know, based on questions of the other one's trust, does it happen often then? I know, I mean, you, you often think, I like prenuptial agreements as being stuff for like the, the rich and famous, do you? But they, they are becoming a lot more commonplace. I, I've came across it quite quite a number of times. And one of the, the main things driving this is actually the, the bank of mum and dad. What, what we're finding okay. is that parents are, are often helping out 
kids with, with like deposits on properties. So that was going back to a wee bit like last week's show. Yeah. But, so parents are often helping out the, the children. And what you'll find is when, when they're maybe gifting money away, they, they're worried about like what's called sideways disinheritance. They don't want that money to go to like their partner and their or their child and their partner. And then if they split up, they're thinking, hang on, our money's then they've been entitled to half of that. So that, that's been one of the main reasons probably for the, the increase in, in prenups, I, I would say. And really it's just, I mean, and that that's just one kind of example of it, but that, that's where the parents are, are maybe looking for something to get put in place to protect their assets should the, the child separate from, from their partner. But it is, it's becoming a lot more commonplace. UK law is, is quite a complex approach to, to prenups in the UK, and you've actually got different rules. Again, you've got different kind of laws in Scotland compared to like England and, and Wales. But however, the, the approach to prenups now is that if they're legally sound when they're drawn up, then usually they, they'll be upheld in, in court. And I, I was speaking to one solicitor just the other day, and he was saying that to, to do a prenup, you're looking at a cost of probably about two to three thousand pounds to, to get that in place. Because that, that was something I didn't know. Um, so I thought, right, I better do a bit of research for this show and try and find out how much it would, would cost. And I must admit, I didn't really think it would be that kind of price. I thought it might be a wee bit less than, than that, really. But prenups are, are certainly worth considering if, if one party to the marriage has got an awful lot more assets than the other, then it is certainly something to, to consider. But you're right, it doesn't really doesn't get a marriage off in the right, only the best foot. It's in, not the best like, foot, is it? No. I know, especially when marriages are all about kind of trust. And, um, but I guess it's, it just depends on, on someone's circumstances. Yeah. But it can be a good way of protecting your, your financial assets. Because when you're, I mean, I, I remember doing mortgages for folk and you, or, or even just financial advice and, you kind of turn around to them when they're buying their house and say, oh, but well, what happens if you split up? Because that's a time they're looking forward as opposed to kind of looking back. Mm. Uh, Let's assume you get past the prenup or it wasn't even something applicable to your situation. You get married, you're in the live happily ever after part. You're just starting out. Nobody's thinking about wills, are they? But you say that they should. Why is that, Phil? Definitely, especially in England and Wales, because as I say, the, the rules and, and laws are all different in, in different parts of the UK. But in, in England and Wales, when you get married, any existing will is automatically revoked or cancelled at, at that point. So if you don't make a new one, if you were then to die, you're then subject to the law of intestacy. And this then decides how your assets are divided, as opposed to maybe how you wish them to, to be divided. Slightly different in Scotland, your existing will is still valid in Scotland, even if you get married. However, marriage is one of those times when it's good to review things like that and make sure that your will's up to date. So I would certainly say, regardless of where you are in the UK, if you're getting married, you should really be updating your wills and making sure that's all up to, to date. And likewise, if a marriage ends, that's another important time to, to review a will as well. But is it's an area that's often overlooked and it is one that's that's really very important. I had no idea of that aspect of, of being in England and Wales. I mean, where literally what you're getting into is, is that, that sort of scene in Agatha Christie where everyone's sitting around the drawing room and the solicitor's reading out the, the will <laughs> and they're all about to contest whatever is, whatever is uh, suggested. Next up, Phil, and from memory, I think this is something that might affect my tax return, but I could be wrong. So tell me about marriage allowance. 
they, there are tax advantages to, to getting married. And, and the first one of these is called the, the marriage allowance, and it can result in a, a slight income tax saving. This only benefits certain people, and it's only in specific sort of circumstances. But the, the way that that works is, let, let's say you've got one spouse who's a non-taxpayer. So if someone's earning less than £12,570 in the current tax year, they would be a non-taxpayer. Now, if the other spouse is a basic rate taxpayer, then the non-taxpayer can transfer £1,260 of their personal allowance to the taxpaying spouse. So that results in a slight income tax saving, and it can reduce their tax bill by up to £252 in the current tax year. So it's not a huge amount, but there's there's a slight benefit for, for some people there as well. Now, here's what I've got no idea about at all. That's usually the point of the show where I start to, to worry a little after you've explained it. It becomes another entry on my to-do list. So please explain to me spousal exemption. Spousal exemption is, is one of the biggest financial benefits in getting married. And this can be used to make income tax, capital gains tax and inheritance tax savings. And what happens here, assets can be transferred between spouses and it's treated on a nil gain, nil loss basis. One good thing there is if you're transferring assets between each other, there's no capital gains tax payable. So that can have really good benefits. Some examples of this would be if you're maybe transferring, for example, a rental property, or if you had an income generating investment in one person's name, you could transfer it to the other spouse's name. So if if one was a non-taxpayer, you might think, right, I'll transfer that to them. And that way there, there's income tax savings as well. So by transferring assets between each other, it can be really good because it can can help you save on tax. Okay. It sounds like the one of the bands that John Peel would play late night radio one, doesn't it? Here's the new one from Spousal Exemption. Uh, <laughs> next, here in the list of things that we have to consider in our episode is the financial repercussions of getting married inheritance tax. Now, what's the angle on this in this case, Phil? Yeah, it's funny you mentioning John Peel because I was watching a programme on The Who on Saturday <laughs> night just passed and it was the first time, it was a very young John Peel that was on it as well, but it was the first time I'd seen him come up anywhere in, in a long time. A long time, yeah. Yeah, go, going back to that, I mean, if, if one spouse dies, the other can get the other's assets without having to pay any inheritance tax. So they also get their inheritance tax nil rate banned. Now, what that is, is at the moment, if you die, you, everyone's got what's called a, a nil rate band, which is currently £325,000. So if one dies, their nil rate band, if you're married, then goes to your spouse. So that takes it up to 650000 <laughs> Maths is terrible there, but <laughs> 650000 is the, the amount that your estate can be passed to your beneficiaries free of tax. Now, there's also something as part of the spousal exemption, the assets on first death of a married couple passed to the surviving spouse free of IHT and any unused nil rate band and main residence nil rate band will also be passed to the surviving spouse. And they've also got things on property now as well, and this could see the surviving spouse able to pass up to a million pounds worth of assets to beneficiaries of their estate if free of IHT if that was to happen. So again, there's advantages of getting married for, for inheritance tax as well. 
So this this is the the sort of thing they talk about when they're debating about things in, in Parliament and they talk about the Tories looking after their own when it comes to inheritance tax. This is the sort of th- this is the sort of banding that they're talking about where you can give away up to a million without really having to pay out in it. That's that's that kind of thing there, is it? Well, people I mean people will have different views on on inheritance tax. I mean, some people think it's like you pay tax all your life and then you pay it when you die. So for, for many, it's something that's quite unpopular. And one of the reasons it's quite unpopular as well is especially down south, the values of properties have rocketed, especially in like areas like London. So a lot of folk were being hit with inheritance tax that maybe wouldn't have been years ago. So mm. they, they got this allowance that you can transfer now between, uh, when, on someone's death that can pass on but they've also started putting in things about the property as well which increases the, the overall limit before people pay inheritance tax so it is it's it's one that inheritance tax often seen as a voluntary tax though because there are ways that you can try to, to avoid that so that that's a great reason to go and speak to a financial advisor if you think you have got an inheritance tax problem but mm-hmm. uh, for some people getting married Let's just say I have half a million pounds of assets. And again, for easiness, let's just say that I don't own a property. Anything over 325,000, I would have to pay, my state would pay 40% tax on that. Let me just work that out. So 175,000 pounds of my estate in that circumstances would be subject to inheritance tax at 40%. So my estate would get hit with a bill of 70,000. Mm. If I was to get married, there wouldn't be any inheritance tax to, to pay, assuming my wife didn't have any asset that's over that kind of amount as well. So actually getting married can be quite a good bit of planning for inheritance <laughs> well, tax. But the, the question you've got to ask at that point, Phil, is you're obviously a certain age when you've got this, right? The question you have to ask is, is it cheaper for me to pay 70 grand inheritance tax as a single person <laughs> or get married to someone who's going to spend more than 70 k? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. We should actually do this this show locked in somewhere where nobody can get to us so that there's time for everyone else to cool down. Sorry, did I stop you from making that a final point on the inheritance No, no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> Here's another one I've not seen, and to be honest, I hope I never do, but I guess we should be aware of it anyway, a post-nuptial agreement. Now, does this mean that things have gone wrong, Phil, or not necessarily? No, what that is, a post-nuptial agreement, it's a contract that's drawn up after you're married. And this agreement provides details on how a couple's assets and property would be split in the event of them divorcing, separating, or again, upon death as well. And post-nuptial agreements, they they tend to be most common when one party receives a large inheritance, usually from their their family. So again, it it might be that someone's inheriting money and they think, right, I want to keep this protected for the other assets that we've got. So they're not all that common, really, but... It's an important thing to consider, and and a lot of people probably don't even know that that's an option for them as well. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have heard of prenuptial agreements because of like all these celebrities that mm. get them, but a postnuptial agreement is something that you can put in place as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it suggests that you're going to get left, a, you know, a, a whack of savings from your, your great great auntie Margaret or whatever, and um, and and that's something that you can put in afterwards, I suppose. The the commonality in in both is that financially, amongst the couple, the finances are out of kilter. So one is significantly better off than the other, and that's where they come into play. Yeah, that's often what happens. Yeah, they, they are. It's the sort of thing. I, I don't know. Like, if it was me, it's like, how do you? Like you're you're getting married to somebody or you are married. If somebody came to me and saying, "Oh, look, we, we've been married for however long, and now I want to get a, a post-nuptial agreement," you'd be thinking, "Hang on, what's why?" It's like, that, that's a thing. So, yeah, um, yeah. You take that. So you take a spoonful of that porridge first. <laughs> <laughs> um, this next one is is kind of the 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 nuclear football option, I guess. If all is lost, and unfortunately, the relationship ends in divorce. And we've done entire shows in this film, which is probably worth mentioning. So you can go back into our back catalogue for fuller advice on this specific aspect of financial advice. But the one thing I remember saying to you at the outset of that episode was, it's probably one of the times in your life when you need to be most switched on, practical, almost machine-like efficient in your thinking and calculation. And chances are you're a bit of an emotional wreck and unable to do primary one math. So... What do we actually need to know about divorce? I know, you're right, it is a, a period that can be really quite difficult. And it's a time where I always say to folk, look, you should really go and seek out financial advice and, and sit down. I, I've, I've sat down with folk in the past and had them in tears and emotions can run high at, at that point. Well, one good thing with the podcast, we, we've got a lot of episodes linked to, to this and the great thing there is you can just sit down and listen to them as and when you like and which ones are, are relevant. But we, we have done quite a number on mm. kind of linked sort of topics. I, I was having a look earlier this morning with episode 70 just a, a few weeks ago. That was sorting out your mortgage during divorce. I mean, that might not be relevant if someone doesn't have a mortgage. We did episode 54 last year, pensions and divorce. So that was another one. Episode 18, going a wee bit further back, reviewing your finances if you're recently divorced or separated. And we did a couple of linked kind of episodes as well. Episode 40 was on should you manage your, your finances jointly or individually. That's maybe not so much one at divorce stage, but that, that's maybe one that's worth a listen for, for anybody that's in recent relationships and thinking about do we manage things on our own or do we do it jointly? And one one episode that I, I always think was a really valuable one, especially if you've got kids, episode seven, one of the first ones we did was life insurance on an ex-spouse ex or partner. Mm. And that's often something that's really overlooked as well. But hopefully thing, things will go well with, with people's marriages. And I haven't seen any statistics as how divorces have gone kind of over COVID, whether they're up or down or, or where it's gone. But sadly, it is something that, that does come up from time to time. Yeah. And the last aspect you got here is remarriage and children from a first or previous marriage. What are the, the potential financial ramifications to consider in the event that that is your scenario? I know if, if you're remarrying, then you're almost going back to the start of the podcast again. But it's <laughs> things like the wills, prenups, that, that's the sort of stuff that, especially the wills, and again, especially in England and Wales, that's that's really important to be be reviewing and redoing your, your will there. If you have children from a previous marriage or relationship, it's even more important to, to make sure your will is up to date and if you were to, to remarry. So 
and as I say, if you've got kids, it's good to look at things like, should you have life insurance on the, the ex-partner or spouse there to, to cover it? Because quite often, if you're maybe married and you've got kids, and, and unfortunately, if you split up, it's like maybe one party will have to pay maintenance. And what happens if that maintenance stops? So there's a lot to think about in that circumstances as well. But no, definitely, if you are remarrying, again, there's, there's things to, to take into account there as well. Okay, so without losing any of the, the Dame Barbara Cartland romance of an upcoming wedding, um, what are the, the takeaway elements that we need to have at the back of our minds financially when it comes to the repercussions of getting married, Phil? I, I think a few of the highlights from, from the podcast today is that it just shows there are important things to consider when it comes to like financial planning if, if you're getting married. Not, not only have you got like the, the sort of things that, that we've touched on today, but you've also got things like budgeting, maybe saving to get married. There's so many spin-off episodes we could, could kind of <laughs> do off the, the back of this as well. But I always think it's good to, if you are getting married. Again, it's another time where it's quite good to... There, there's certain trigger points in life where it's good to look at maybe getting financial advice. And I would say that that's one of them as well. Here we go, Phil. Then as we enter into the part of the show where you share your own life story... What have you got regarding this one on the financial repercussions of getting married? Well, I've, I've never been married. I've been in a couple of longer-term relationships and stayed with, with partners, but who knows, maybe at some point I will will get married. It would ter- help me eventually when inheritance tax planning. That's <laughs> one thing that it, it would, but I think that's, that's not really a good basis to get married, is it? <laughs> <laughs> we did that one before. Tyler, will you help me out with my inheritance tax and become my wife? And Phil, we always do this bit as well. I mean, you, you find inspiration through uh, various folk that you admire, and you do love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for on the financial repercussions of getting married? The secret of a happy marriage remains a secret. <laughs> now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please feel free. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's. So I'll give you the contact details you need in just a sec. Here's a first question. I've just received word my mortgage is going up and I hear it might happen again this year. Is there anything I can do to stop this from happening? On the paperwork notification, it looks like my lender is offering me a deal to avoid the increases. Should I take it? I, I would say speak to a whole of mortgage, a whole of market mortgage broker to see what they recommend. It certainly sounds like unlikely that they would have early repayment charges from their current lender, which means they're free to compare what they can offer against what other lenders could maybe offer by by remortgaging. So it certainly sounds like they'd be able to look at all the different options there. Okay. Uh, next is one from Karen in Kuta. I have to say this is one of a clutch of similar questions. Karen says, hi, Phil. Everyone's talking about this energy price hike coming down the track later this year. When will it happen? How much will the increase be? Do you think the government will do something to help? Whether the government will do anything to help, I guess only time will tell with, with that point. But at the moment, price rises are kind of around the corner for, for many. The, the price cap is due to be reviewed actually on the day that this podcast comes out. <laughs> so that we'll find out fairly soon. But experts are, are warning steep rises are on the way. And they, they actually think that the price cap changes in April 
but they, they reckon that folk in April are going to see a 50% rise in the cost of their energy bill. So that's going to be significant. Yeah. We're not looking at just little rises. We're looking at quite some pretty hefty ones here. But what I always say to folk is, is for, for energy comparisons, use an, an off-gem approved comparison website. Two of the most popular sites are, are U-Switch and Money Supermarket. They're two of the ones that are, are approved by Off-Gem. They also tell you if it's best to stay put on your existing tariff and provider. Now, at the minute, I'm on one of these like variable tariffs, just on a, a standard tariff with my provider. When I go onto the comparison website and put in that details at the minute, it turns around and says, until April, stay on that because of this price cap, they can't put it up. You, you might have some folk on historical fixed deals where they, they might not be impacted for a little while, but for, for a lot of people, they're going to see their bills go up by about 50% come April time. Yeah. Uh, I suppose if you have one of those historical deals that you talk about, the very last thing that you want to do uh, is look at moving. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's good. I mean, if, if you go on to the likes of that comparison websites, put in the tariff that you're on, you can usually get that on your bill. So that there'll be certain bits of information that they ask for. And if it's not worth moving, they'll they'll tell you, you no, know, stick, stick and stay. The last time I did it for myself, it, it came up and it said it's like, no, just what you've got is fine. Mm. Review this again in, in April 22, which I'll do. I've put a note in my diary for a couple of months' time, and, and I'll have a look at mine again. But it's, it's not good times just now, is it? Because no. there's like tax increases on the way. You've got inflation high anyway. You've got these bills going up. But just National insurance increases as well. Yeah, it's, it's, um, <laughs> hopefully the like government it? will do some stuff yeah. to help folk because it's going to be a lot of people struggling even more. And we've had COVID. You know, folk, some folk are just getting back to normal after being on furlough and stuff like that. So it's it's going to be an interesting few months ahead, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we do like to end on a bright note, but I know, you know, and in, I know. in this instance, at least we're being realistic with you. What I would say is, you know, if you have a question and you are worried about anything, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics and we might have touched on the specific thing that you're interested in. And as we go forward and we make more programmes, we will do our best to, to help you just get through the day-to-day of life. I'm Joe Ellis. Thanks for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel that you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show. Search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured... We won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcast. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.